Hello friend, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is the Sobira show. Sorry, just adjusting my head. Phones. A it is uh the day of independence as I record this introduction. Uh should I say it? I don't know there are certain do's and don'ts that I don't observe and maybe it drives other podcasters mad, other producers up the fucking wall. But you know what? This is the way I do things. I there's no real way I do things. I just do it and then I kind of look back and go I should have done it but I just don't. So if you are someone who likes a certain method, if you like uh someone who has a certain fixed fixed approach or you like someone who's got a very tight uh tightly directed and produced podcast, then tell me. I'll do anything for you baby. But it is the day of independence, the 4th of uh 15th of August and I'm sitting here contemplating life and contemplating what it means to be free. because um you know when i listen to a lot of audiobooks like uh i oh i by the way um this is 15th on 13th i actually hosted a show i emceed a motherfucking show like uh, uh it was actually in a mall so i'm so glad it was at the role of a mc and not stand up because man it was for this amazon show uh coming out on the 2nd of september i almost know all the details it's called the rings of power and uh, abish matthew was on the lineup and there's about the band called geek fruit and it's one of those things which was nice to be on stage where i felt so free and early i wouldn't host right because I'm, i'm a comedian i don't host gigs that's for mcs yeah but it was great i got paid to just say welcome to the launch of the rings of power and just remember three four hashtags ask three four questions it felt pretty fucking awesome I don't know how to do no jokes but I I wanted to do jokes but I didn't do any jokes. So anyway, that was that. But when you listen to audiobooks like Game of Thrones whether it's the the Song of Ice and Fire series, uh, that's the only series, right? No, there's one before. I read the uh, listen to the audiobook. I think it's something to do with the Targaryens and the whole era of dragons before the dragons were dead and it was nice. But you see so much emphasis on freedom, the concept, the idea, the fight. uh whether it's in Mel Gibson's Braveheart or whether it's in uh yeah what's that lady's name who wrote the uh, Outlander series the Voyager book I don't know if you guys read it where Claire is transported hundreds of years back and anyway where the French uh the king what's his name Charles is fighting on the side of the Scottish for liberation from the English or whether it's um the French revolution or it's the American revolution very very specific history I just kind of gloss over most of the centuries. Well, what was that lady's name? I forget. The lady who wrote um is it Outlander? Yeah, the first book's called Outlander, then it's Voyager, then it's called um uh, something in Amber, uh, not Fly in Amber, something in Amber. I forget the book. I forget the author's name. The the, the authoress, no, the 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 narrator's Davina Porter. Eh, anyway, doesn't matter fuck it. So yeah, uh, but we have been free for quite a few years. Uh 75 years and The thing is I feel we've gotten too lazy being free and everyone is putting up a flag and being all flaggy about it and uh, the thing is I think every so often we need to be I wouldn't say threatened or we need to be um reminded what it's like not to be free yeah we should need to just be fucking thrown behind bars or uh, I think that's happening anyway but uh, just generally get a sense of not being so comfortable because one of the things that freedom does ensure is freedom of speech <laughs> um freedom to bear arms um i mean that's that's i suppose if you like waxing that that makes sense uh freedom 
to freedom of choice or freedom of media. Oh, fucking all these things are redundant. I actually, what uh, someone's already jumped it, uh, jumped the gun. They already are ensuring that these freedoms are taken away. But this freedom of choice, I feel we're on the other end. We have so much choice that we can't choose. Yeah, you heard it first here in the Sophie Rao show. It's it's so much choice that we are trapped. Yeah, because you go on Amazon and say you buy a pair of condoms, just a pair. Uh, <laughs> just a pair for that extra cock. Um, and the moment you buy that pair, you have choice because it's, if you like this, you might like the Durex Play. It's not. It's more choice. If you like this, you might like a jumbo a glove for golf. I have no clue what the connection is, but Amazon found it somewhere. And if you like that jumbo glove for golf, you might like, you know, Italian cutlery. <laughs> Because clearly there's some algorithm which has fucking issues and it's found all these connections for you. And if you like that jumbo Italian cutlery, uh, sorry, jumbo is the this thing, the glove and the Italian cutlery, you might like laces to tie it all together. So that's in fact a trap. <laughs> I don't know where. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I believe we're not truly free. Now, if you work for a company, you're not truly free. If you work as an entertainer, you're signed up by an agency, you're not truly free. If you work and one of your projects is sold, IP is owned by someone else, you're not truly free. If you live with your family, you are bound by the laws that govern family, salt and bread. Uh, but you're most free in your family in some sense of the word. But then if you are living in a city, you're not free because you're governed by the rules that govern that society, by that rules that govern that municipality. If you live in a country, you're governed by the rules but you're technically free from oppression but you're not free from repression and you're not really free from yourself that's the ultimate freedom that you have to escape the bonds to achieve enlightenment and attain self-realization okay enough but yeah freedom that's something that we are celebrating stand up because you have to sing the national anthem you're not free to sit down chill out and listen to remix so yeah, I don't know what I mean. I, I, for me, I'm pretty decent to just, you know, not be too kind of thing at my balls chopped off. You might take my life, but you will never take my balls. Freedom you take, not my balls. Hurts too much, dude. And you need a lot of values and principles to be free. Not some guy like me going, no, 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 no balls. Important, bro. Important. Yeah, yeah. Wife, you can take that. You can take care of my family, my friends, not the balls. I'm not uh, withstanding interrogation for some notion of freedom. Fuck it. As long as you give me this podcast, give me a mic, give me a little bit of porn to watch, some food. Yeah, freedoms, house arrest. That's cool. As I, maybe. I don't know what it is like to be imprisoned for my beliefs or for my values or my cultural identity. But I suppose it's when your true character is tested. So I suppose we all need to be tested, truly. Our characters need to be put under the magnifying glass and the flamethrower. But yeah, it just sounds horrific, like pulling out your nails and showing like bamboo splinters up your, you know. So yeah, basically do I have a message? No, but freedom, that's what we're celebrating today. Independence from the British. Yeah. But the British are having a heat wave. They don't even know that they occupy. They're like, fuck, it's too hot to worry about apologizing. So everything's going on. And yeah. Anyway, when you listen to this freedom, what would have happened? We would have moved on to our own 
mental uh, cage that we built for ourselves. But uh, let's not go down that path because it's a slippery slope and I'll go on about it and I've spoken about it over and over again and you'll hear about it over and over again. But let me talk about today's guest because she's a lovely person and I know I say lovely a lot but she actually is a lovely person. We had a lovely chat and could have stopped saying lovely. One more lovely could come up later but for now she uh, is someone who helps people understand the way they look at food. Uh, she has a very interesting relationship with food. Uh, she kind of used food as a crutch, as a, an escape mechanism. But now she's kind of risen above that and tries to help other people not just focus solely on diets and image and what not, but she helps people understand to appreciate their hunger, what their body is trying to tell them. Uh, her name is Eve Lahijani. She's presently, as we spoke, in California. I'm sure she moved, um, like, you know, down the road back to her house but yeah she's i think still in la you can check out the work she does and of course if you need to reach out to her you can check out the description you can google her you can do whatnot it's the uh, possibilities are endless she's also free yeah i don't know if she's free you should check her calendar but she was free to talk to me uh eve lahijani lovely person third lovely and i'm so glad she could join me on the soapy Rao show we had a fun chat and i'm sure you will love listening to it so as always thank you for listening to this podcast do share it with someone you think will like it and have a good freedom day uh, it's already passed but enjoy the freedom week and the freedom sales that are bombarding you so enjoy it uh, again appreciate you being who you are and joining me on this podcast till next time goodbye god bless take care of yourselves cheers and catch you on the other side Eve Lahijani, welcome to the Soapy Rao Show. How are you um, today? I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And I, I, I want to know, actually, I just asked you how to pronounce your last name, but where is the name from? Uh, it's very interesting, the last name. Thank you. It is a province in the Middle East. Is it's it Lebanese by any Persian. chance? It's Persian. Persian. It's from right, right. Okay. No, because the, the there are certain... Uh, names in India which sound like that because we have a, a, a quite a big Parsi community which of course and of course now a lot of Iranians have come to India to study I don't know um, why they do that but a lot of them are here now in fact my neighbor who moved back to Sweden is married to a, to an Iranian I don't know why any of this is important I just <laughs> very important I no, think my... I love diversity I love it it makes us more relevant absolutely no and I love cultural. the fact that we can do this right now and I think that's that's the I, and I keep saying it on every episode, this is this is what I think the things like Zoom and the internet were created to do is bring people from across the globe together on a chat and discuss ideas and discuss what drives us and what gets us and what doesn't get us. So I uh, appreciate that again for you joining me on this episode today. Um, so you, you are someone who, uh, by the way, where do you live right now? Because I think we're about 12 and a half hours apart. I am in Southern California, so West LA, Santa Monica, Los oh, Angeles. Oh, okay, nice, nice, nice. Okay, is, is everything okay there? Because we keep keep hearing about uh, the fires and things out of control, the wildfires. And are things okay anywhere, really? No, um, not really. Yeah, okay. uh, let Thank me rephrase that question. <laughs> how bad is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how how dark we became so quickly. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. My neighborhood is okay, but right. yeah, it's weird times around here. Uh, we have a lot of political issues going on, even in this city. So mm. uh, 
Yeah, yeah, it's the And I hear about uh, LA going through this entire transformation with the homeless population, or I don't know if that's the politically correct word, but people um, kind of just setting up shop wherever they want and there's a big issue of no one. I don't know, uh, is, is that even a thing or is that just misrepresentation in the media to sort of sensationalize it? Wow, it's actually happening. It's very intense. Um, you're right, I forgot the political people who are currently without homes, something along those lines. Right. It's really an issue here. Just yesterday, um, I witnessed somebody die in front of me. Um, and it was very, Crazy. Uh, it was something that is becoming more and more common here in Los Angeles, sadly. Um, yeah. It's very strange, you know, because these are kind of stories that, you know, when when I, I, I did my undergrad in, in, in Oregon, a little liberal arts college there, and a lot of the preconceived notions about India were poverty and a lot of people who are, um, you know, malnourished, a lot of people who just live under a, a, a sort of an underpass or a flyover or people who have, you have cows on the road, kind of all these preconceived notions. But I mean, of course, while our populations are of control, we do have these issues. It, it seems like it's it's very weird for me to hear this happening in a country like America, which is always uh, a country that people look up to when it comes to standard of living or it comes to dignity of life or it comes to um, having the basics met, right? And even something, and I, let's go down this avenue because it's something that you, uh, of course, you said it's not your expertise, but I want to understand. Like something like food is such a big thing because the moment America comes into the conversation now with food, it's automatically type 2 diabetes, it's juvenile diabetes, it's obesity, it's processed food, it's sugars, and there's a pandemic in that space. And it's it's so strange and it must be weird for you. Um, I mean, did you grow up in America or did you move there when you were older? I was actually born here. So you're born, really okay. Yeah, I was born here. It's interesting that you're saying this because the homeless guy or the man without a home yesterday who I was there when he passed away, he was easily 300 pounds. So he died on the footpath, on the side, on the sidewalk? On the sidewalk. Yeah, he fell off like he was sitting at the bus stop and he fell face first and he was easily 300 pounds. I don't know what oh. that is in kilograms. Maybe That's it's huge. more than, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's around 150 or something yeah. or so kilograms. Um yeah, so it wasn't so much an undereating issue. Maybe his nutrition wasn't very balanced, but our our nutrition yeah. issues, our malnourishment here in the United States, yeah. looks different than in other parts of the world because it's a lot of processed foods and things like that. Interestingly, next to him on the bus stop where he passed away were all of these processed foods, cookies, donuts, inexpensive foods. Oh my God. You know, the, mm -hmm. the, the the really sad thing is, as you know, before we started recording, um, we, we were talking about some of the things that we might discuss. And like what you just said, this whole industry of processed food, be it the KFCs, be it the be it the Pillsburys or be it the Nestle's or be it whatever, right? The, the, the variation might change from country to country. And, you know, you, you, you obviously have some cultural roots in a different country from in, in Iran and you have different eating habits. And in India, we have different kind of eating things which are passed on from generation to generation and all that's disappearing for this kind of food. So you see people across, uh, you know, of course, some of the richer parents might be like, no, I'm, I'm going to give my kid organic biscuits. Or, but still, it is a big issue because we're just, just people, it, you know, that with exposure, with the internet being around, people are just giving up eating whatever they their parents or their grandparents ate for these kind of things, whether it's a Domino's pizza, whether 
uh, and it's all being Indianized, right? So you have Indianized versions of McDonald's and Indianized versions of KFC. It's just abundant and it's cheap. Uh, when I was growing up, a sandwich or a burger would be about maybe, you know, let's just say $10. But now you get the same sandwich for like a dollar or 50 cents in India. And it's people are just eating that, getting fat, getting all these body uh, conscious issues. And then it's terrible, the, the entire cycle. It really is, you know. Um, something that I learned in my undergraduate education, I studied economics before business and economics before mm -hmm. I studied nutrition. Mm -hmm. So it was very interesting and fascinating to learn that that these heavier foods, you could say like McDonald's and things like this are actually subsidized by the government. It, they actually receive and accept food stamps. So when somebody Michael. can't afford food, they could go get free food from McDonald's. And it was really fascinating to me when they really broke it down, how a low income family is going to spend their their food dollars. They have hungry children and it's less expensive to go and, and go through the drive through at McDonald's than it is to go get a get something from a grocery store like fruits and vegetables and, you know, a roasted healthy chicken or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so it really, really opened my eyes to oftentimes the the real health issue they found out actually what the biggest indicator of poor health when it comes to food and eating more than anything else more than culture race or anything like that or food choices or their psychology is actually their zip code is where somebody's zip code is has the biggest indicator and influence on how they make food choices which really mm. blew my mind that it isn't like, oh, these people don't know how to make good choices. It has a lot to do with the environment, the access, so many things to um, eating well. It really blew my mind. But, you know, um, I want to understand, okay, let's, we always, uh, not we, but generally, it's always the demons in the conversation with food are the fast food companies, right? The sugary drinks, the fast food. But, okay, let I know, okay, sugar is miserable, but why is McDonald's so bad or why is KFC so bad? Like from your uh, study of these foods, what exactly is the killer in this? Or why is it so um, something you should stay away for, especially for kids? You know, I my philosophy has a lot to do with uh, going back to eating normally, mm. learning how to listen to your body and trusting those cues. And yeah. in my philosophy, these foods fit from time to time. Yeah. However, it becomes an issue when these foods are the staples of the diet, the mm. the most that the bigger parts of your diet. And you see this in situations where, again, it's people, families that are low income and not only low income, low on time. If both mm. parents are working two jobs, <laughs> you know, which yeah, is often yeah. the case in lower income families, that this is their only viable food option. And when this becomes the only source of food that they're having, there's no real fruits and vegetables and things like this. Um, it could be really problematic because the quality of the poor, the food is so poor. It's so processed. It's mm. fried, And it's these this processing that's been done to food that our body is not naturally equipped to handle to that degree so often. You know, from time to time, of course, our body could handle these foods. However, when this is all that the body is eating, that... It, it's just not meant to eat that much processed food over and over again. So mm. to me, it's less about having these foods from time to time. I really don't believe sugar is a devil. However, mm. I, when it's the only food consumed, that's when it becomes a problem. As for little kids, it becomes a real issue 
not only because these are the only foods that they're eating and it's it's teaching them, you know, poor nutrition habits from such a young age. It's also an issue that when you give a young child a big drum of soda, let's say yeah. sugar or water, yeah. and they're sitting in the back of the car and they don't have a backyard to play in. Because yeah. again, they don't necessarily have a big backyard to play in. They're in a small apartment. They're sharing a room. They don't have space to play or they don't have space to feel their feelings or whatever. Yeah. They're friends. And the way they cope and the way they go through the day is with this big sugary beverage or this no, highly- and it's crazy food. the sizes, right? I'm sorry for just the sizes of oh, the, these, these, these portions, especially with the processed food is massive. Like I, as you said, the drum of- soda or sugary pop right it's just crazy it's almost like two liters and that's considered a drink <laughs> exactly oh. exactly it, it's so fascinating what happens and i'll never forget i used to teach nutrition classes at a hospital mm. and um these kids would walk in it was it was a pediatric class for young kids mm. and they would come with their parents but the kids would come with these giant things of soda and candy and the parents would be so you know dismayed of my child but the parents were the ones who bought these foods for their children you mm. know in the first place so it actually blew my mind of you know it's not these poor kids faults for making yeah. these choices it's what the parents are buying for them you know yeah and do you see that pattern continuing because i vaguely i mean um would observe when i would go for a, a lecture or a class in college right in university and people who would come I, I would just take maybe a water or something from I would fill it up in my uh, apartment or take it to the class but everyone would have a chai latte everyone would have something to snack did you do you, do you notice that in um it, it, today maybe across the world or maybe in America specifically I don't know make America the only person who's the culprit in this only country but do you see a lot of snacking going on can I blow your mind right now yeah <laughs> okay. So, so for several years, I worked at UCLA. It's a big university here mm -hmm. in the United States, right? Yeah. And it was actually the opposite. Students were walking around with water, sparkling water. Mm. Yes, of course, they would do their caffeine in the morning so they could stay alert. And who right. else? What other? Who knows what other stimulants they're taking to? Yeah, Adderall, of course. Yeah. <laughs> right. So here, here in Los Angeles, at least in the campus, I was at UCLA. I was exposed to a different campus. Mm. Their issue was something else. You know, it wasn't so much kids were overeating and making these food choices. In fact, the dining halls, the places that serve these students food, they had ones that that was like award-winning by the way one of the best dining halls in the united states because mm. it was so nutritious and so nutritionally balanced that this is what the where the students wanted to go again it's a very wow. biased place because it's yeah. in the heart of los angeles you know um there's a lot of resources and los angeles brings a certain type to mm. uh the college campus that is yeah. often self-conscious and these types of things um type a so that's what i witnessed so it this is about 2015, 16, around that time? Yeah, around then. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, that's, that, that, so I'm talking about 2003, 2004. I mean, many years back when I was a young man in college. But uh, it's clearly changed. So it's clearly, obviously, preference. Um, the student, I mean, the, I mean, that's sort of representative of like the woke culture, which I think uh, stands for all these things, right? 
absolutely mm. you know the drink that they that the students would drink the most was sparkling water they in the dining halls they stopped mm. serving soda they would just serve sparkling waters because that's what the students wanted mm. in fact the people who were drinking the soda were the faculty the and the teachers yeah 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 so it's not at all what we expected um so that that's a good thing right yeah i think so uh okay. i think so there yeah. are also issues with it going too far on college mm. campuses not eating enough or afraid of weight and body image and that was my area of expertise that's why i was on that campus is because yeah. um it's easy to develop you know another type of obsession when you're in an environment that's so restrictive mm. or that tends to have mm. a restrictive culture and you see that happening even with freedom of speech and uh what, what, what the the entire sort of cancel culture you see the words you see the gender pronouns etc etc but let's not go into that i i, I want to understand um how you got to this space why did why did food become such an important thing uh for you to understand and how it's consumed and why why you i mean were you doing something that you found startling well i i love that you asked me this question speaking of ucla that's where i was studying as an undergrad mm. and even though i was at school and i should be studying and thinking about these things while i was at school i was obsessed about what i was eating how much i was exercising it was really distracting me from my college experience to the point where it was the only thing i was thinking about i really wasn't able to focus on my studies friendships relationships or anything like that and i remember being so fixated on food i made a promise to myself that if i ever figure this out mm. if i could ever normalize my eating because at the time i was restricting i was overeating i was binging out of control um all these things were going on with food that i promised myself if i solve this issue with food i would make it my life's work to help people who struggle with food issues mm. help them solve the issue because i didn't believe i could I was right. in a place where if I saw a food, I had to eat it. And not only would I eat it, I would have to finish it. And if somebody else was eating it and they left it on their plate, I had to eat that too. And then I would get so mad at myself and feel like I had to punish myself by restricting and not eating. And it turns out that this is a very common issue around the mm. world, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. so that's that's how I got into what I was doing. That's a short story. So was it something that it happened uh, because I mean I'm I'm going to make a couple of assumptions and please uh, correct me if I'm wrong but you you said you come from a Persian um, Iranian family right so your food is a, is yum it's delicious right and so did you have these issues of not being able to manage your food or overeat and then feel guilty and then not eat at all was it something you had at home or did it manifest in in your university years definitely at home Mm, it was at okay. home with any food that was available. I was I I mean I lived in the United States so even though the food that was served at home was Persian food uh-huh. predominantly I still had access to 7-11. I still had access cool. to whatever was around in fast food. In fact, you know, part of the my my experience of being an American was by rejecting my home food culture mm. and wanting to have what we would call normal American food. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Normal <laughs> really being the operative word. <laughs> yes, that's what exactly. Ironically, yeah. so yeah. um so really interesting. I think the eating issue is so easy to contract, I guess for lack of a better word, to develop mm. in somebody who really wants to fit in in so many different ways, 
you know, has shame about their culture, their food, their body, you know, and I feel like our culture sets us up to reject ourselves in this kind of a way. You know, when you see the yeah. images in the media that are so perfect, um, it, could, it could be so common and so easy. But do you sense that happening? Uh, and it's it's more of a cultural identity kind of uh, direction. I want to just sort of go go down for us for a moment. Is as an Iranian or Persian American or as an Indian American, do people feel kind of not good enough, or they don't feel like they are a first class citizen, so they have to try that much harder to blend in, and as a result, they do the things that are so called, as you mentioned earlier, normal, like uh, fashion wise food-wise, um, sports-wise, whatever it may be. Do you, do you, did you get a sense that you have to try that much harder to be an American? That's such a good question. And I think it varies from person to person. It's hard to say, especially in Los Angeles where the Persian culture abounds. And mm. for some people, it's an area of pride. Right. For others, it's an area of shame, you know? Mm. And either way the pressure, whether it's to conform to try to fit in and be the most beautiful Persian person or mm. to fit in and be like one of the American girls, you yeah. know, I feel like it could go either way in my experience of what I witnessed, especially because I work with people not only in LA, you know, the I also see this type of pressure happening from people all over the world in, yeah. in different ways, you know, so I don't really know if there's the answer Trust me, experts have trying to isolate what causes eating issues, what is the one thing. And I feel like it's so nuanced and individualized that mm. it could really be anything. No, I, I love, um, I'd love my time in America and I, I'll still go back and I'll still come back if, if they love me. But, um, you know, it's it's amazing because when I was in college, I didn't think of food, right? I had a meal plan with the food hall and I would get oh. you know grilled cheese sandwiches or whatever. I never thought really about eating healthy because it was I was 20. 223 and it was you know jack in the box was delicious like the ranch dressing and the curly fries were oh and especially eating at like fast food mexican after you know getting smashed on a thursday night it was the thing to do but i think back now and i want to get uh, to understand food because i um obviously didn't have access growing up in the 90s in india we didn't have too many fast like i remember the first fast food chain was wimpy's which was the international fast food chain that came to bangalore but before that we had a couple of local haunts that we would get but it was a limited thing maybe once a month or once in six weeks so that's when we eat a sandwich or a burger or a pizza because that's how it was and i'm not complaining but it was good in hindsight but food is something that i'm thinking about now because i'm going to be 40 this year i want to understand what goes into my body and i've started eating consciously not um because it's the thing to do and thing to sort of showcase to people it's because i feel better when i know what i'm putting into my body at the same time what you mentioned made a lot of sense i try to do it in balance i eat a, a chocolate i eat a cake once in a while but it's not the primary thing i put into my body it's like i eat what i want but when i want to but for the most part I try to understand uh, what I need as opposed to what I want, you know. So, uh, can we maybe just start with understanding what the climate is we're getting into right now with the food thing? Is it a balanced climate where people are eating because uh, they enjoy it? Or do we see extremes where one side we have the people carrying sparkling water and consciously or too consciously worried about their image and body image? And the other side, you have this obesity pandemic. Um, maybe can you talk us through some of the things you've observed through your work? Absolutely. First of all, happy, happy uh, decade 
uh, welcome to the dark side. Not not so, yet. I'm, it's it's a few more months. It's it's a few okay. more months. Yeah, Welcome I'm holding to on to it. Yeah, actually, I'm okay. you know I'm really excited uh, because from twenty to forty, it was pretty much debauchery, right? With all I was in extremes, like with drinking, <laughs> with not eating. I would eat like maybe one bagel a day in college, but even the way I, I looked at life was very extreme. Like with um, outward, you know, I would look for external factors to make me happy to validate my existence. Uh, and that's shifting slowly. So that's that's why I was so excited to talk to you and still I'm excited to talk to you. Not like the excitement ended the moment the recording stopped, but I uh, started. But uh, nope, it's about no. this idea of balance. And that, that's why I found your talk interesting and what you do interesting because you can still be 50 and you don't have to be, you know, living an ascetic life where you're in a hermitage and you're like, I'm old. But I feel my next 40 years is what I'm really excited, excited about. So, yeah. Uh, thanks for welcoming to the 40s but <laughs> just wanted to mention that before we go further well first of all you're an inspiration to hear you and how you want to move into your next half of your life right yeah um, and so a lot of what I see again I, I have a very biased view of the type of people who reach out to work with me mm-hmm. I see people who've had a lifelong history of trying to change their bodies mm-hmm. going from diet to diet trying to finally lose those 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 100 pounds. And coming to a place where they're so out of touch with their bodies because they're trying to follow the rules. You Mm. know, they're trying to eat the right amount of carbs, uh, you know, not have fats, don't have animal products, do have animal Mm. products. You know, they're so confused in their heads. Yeah. That food is no longer about pleasure and enjoyment and satisfaction. For mm-hmm. my clients, people who reach out to me, food has become right and wrong. Eat like this, not like that. So they find mm-hmm. themselves restricting, afraid to eat because, um, you know, they're afraid that they ate the wrong thing or too too much or whatever. And out of touch with their bodies, really losing touch with hunger. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm supposed to eat when I'm hungry? I never thought of that. Many people yeah. tell me eat. I never thought of hunger being an indicator of when to start eating. It never blows. It it always blows my mind. You know, it's so strange. Yeah, you would think, right? When the world is going hungry, don't listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And here's another thing: is fullness. It's Mm. so it's so common that not only do people not feel their fullness, they've lost Mm. connection with that feeling as well. Or even if they feel their fullness, they're still not able to stop. Mm. And to me, you know, that's a real issue. If you can't stop when you're full, well, what's going to trigger the end of eating, especially if you live in a home that has a refrigerator and a pantry, and we all nowadays have access to all types of foods 24-7, especially with things like Grubhub and, you know, um, Instacart, all these different things. I can't think of any of that, you know, the food delivery. No, we have a huge one in India called Swiggy. And the reason I sort of just bring it up now for you is context-wise is you can, um, so like say a bowl of fries is like 40 cents or 50 cents or 40 rupees in India. You can guess, just get that one thing delivered and you can get another thing from another store and all simultaneously delivered to you. So you can spend as a kid um, who's like say 12 or 13 for like a dollar and a half, you can get five things delivered to your house and you can just shove it into your face. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And you know, And so another big issue I'm seeing around food is food is no longer being used to satisfy hunger. It's used to satisfy the heart. Mm. 
we're so alien cholesterol yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that and what i mean by that is these kids are bored yeah they're on instagram or whatever tiktok all day they're not really engaging and participating or many even adults they don't know how to feel their full range of feelings so mm. once they feel something out of their comfort zone, the only way they know how to soothe that is by using food to check out. Right. So a, another big nutritional problem I see is people filling their emotions with food instead of learning how to actually feel their feelings. It's, it's very easy to understand why. Because when you're feeling down a bowl of ice cream, of course, or when you're just feeling a little bored, oh, McDonald's fries, ah, oh, amazing, yeah. yeah. But why, uh, is, is there any sort of understanding behind why, um, I mean, because a lot of people who talk about, oh, our hunter-gatherer ancestors, but let's not go three, four, five, fifty thousand years back, but something oh. more recently, why yeah. is food, um, okay, because food fundamentally is to survive, uh, but is there more of a, an involvement uh, with food and the human emotion? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So think when you're a little kid, here you are, you're having a bad day, you want to mm. cry. Yeah. Oftentimes adults around you say, cheer up, smile, you know, yeah. uh, don't be sad. So, yeah. and what do they give us to cheer us up maybe? Those foods that you mentioned, ice cream here, they'll make you happy. After you here in the United States, after you get a shot, you know, oftentimes a doctor gives you a lollipop. So from a very young age, we make this association that when I'm uncomfortable, yeah. I'm not allowed to cry. I have to be a big kid. So instead, let me put something in my mouth. Let me put ice cream in my mouth. Or let me put this lollipop in our mouth. So from a very young age, we make this connection that food is comforting, you mm. know? Or when we're sitting in class. And we get hungry, but it's not time to eat. We would get in trouble if you ate in class. This is pretty universal. Whoever I talk yeah. to anywhere on the planet, they tell me, no way. I was not allowed to eat in class. So from a young age, again, we're learning. It's hungry. I'm hungry, but I have to wait till the right time. It's not good to satisfy hunger. Yeah. Same thing happens right. later at night. We're full. And I was just talking to a mother and she was telling me, even I watch my kid, she's full. I know her body has had enough, but I still force her to finish her plate. So even mm. though we're full as kids, we're taught, ignore that. It doesn't matter that sensation. It's okay to ignore. Otherwise, if you ignore your full, if you leave food on your plate, you're being wasteful. You're being yeah. unappreciative. You're being a bad kid. So not many generations ago, it's in our lives. I remember this. You may remember mm. similar yeah. stories that we were talked out of our own signals. <laughs> you know, we were it's we were crazy. taught, ignore yeah. your hunger, just wait. You know, um, you're full. It's okay. Don't be rude to grandma. Eat all of the food on your plate, you know. Yeah. So these signals are so confusing. No wonder as adults, so many of us are out of touch with our bodies. Yeah. No, it's it's very stupid the way we've been um, dealing with food if, from what you just said it's just like yeah I mean it's obvious right like well, yeah, the, the mechanism that's been inbuilt over years and thousands of years of fine tuning we're ignoring that for some social niceties right for some uh, you know some to impress or to make someone happy or to or in other case to not feel what we are feeling like oh when you're feeling sad just yeah take that vanilla and shove it up your face right you'll feel better okay. <laughs> and then you spend tons of tons of, load of money when you're older to go to a therapist because that 
you know, I, <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, but do you think another thing with identity, like a man, I, I've heard this, right? Like when I was living in America or in England, is like, oh man, what are you eating? Vegetables? That's crazy, man. Stop being a rabbit. Like stop being a pussy. Eat some steak. Eat some beef. I'm like, no, I, I, it, it, is that something which factors in? Oh, yeah, definitely. And the reverse. You're a girl. You're eating a burger? Put that uh-huh. away. You should be having a salad. I mean, as a, right. as a female myself, oftentimes yeah. when I eat lunch with my girlfriends, we're all sitting there picking at our salads at some point when we were younger, you know? Yeah. So it worked both directions. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like both directions. Because, I mean, you have one side, you have all these horrific conditions like anorexia, bulimia. And then you have now... Uh, this whole thing and and, and in, in india we have this big trend now of red meat right like eating bacon and eating steaks and uh people like protein and working out crossfit and hiit getting ripped and shredded and all these words coming into our language i'm not saying we didn't have it but it's being more commonly thrown around on insta uh, gram and people like influencers going yeah you know i did the ultra marathon so all these new things which might have been done hundreds of years back i don't know but uh, what do you what do you get uh, when these trends are becoming more and more recognized as something as a standard to attain? Yeah, you get a lot of guilty people because mm. it's not usually not sustainable. And mm. so, I mean, it works for the month or the year or whatever that you're doing it. Mm. But jumping on a giant box, which is CrossFit, you know what I mean? That, that <laughs> yeah. eventually hurts your joints, you know, yeah. or water fasting, which, you know, may work for the first few times you try it is not a sustainable way to go. So you, you get, or I get, I, by the time people come to me, I get, they've tried all these things. It worked when they did it, but ultimately it's not sustainable. You know, we're not meant to jump on giant boxes or, you know, push like these heavy things around or whatever it is, or, Mm. you know, or skip food for so many days in a row or this intermittent fasting that I end up seeing people who are feeling really guilty, especially Mm. because they had some so-called success early on. Yeah. Yeah. But again, that's not sustainable. And so by the time they come to see me, they feel like failures of why can't I get it right? And just the thought of restricting causes them to overeat, you know, um, Mm. So that's been the that's been the trend. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why the more people try these things, you know, restriction, different diets, intermittent fasting, keto, veganism, mm-hmm. low carb, high protein, or whatever it is that they're trying. Yeah. That when they keep on trying these different ways of depriving themselves, what ends up happening, what ends up setting in for these people is a is a legitimate sense of deprivation that food is going to be taken away that food is scarce because they keep on taking food away from themselves and it's really interesting is these people end up eating in a way that you would imagine that they went through some kind of famine when they were younger not because they went through famine it was because they they restricted they went on these diets and so Mm -hmm. they're very surprised of even though I know I shouldn't be eating this food or I don't want to be eating these foods, why am I obsessing about them? Why am I overeating on these foods? So you find these people after a certain number of years being obsessed with food, out of control, you know, um, and really confused and feeling very guilty. Did that answer your yeah. question? Because I thought it was a great question. I got very excited and went No, with no, it's, 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 no, it's got me thinking. That's why if I have this blank look on my face, it's because I'm listening and thinking. Um, <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> you can but, see both at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm just wearing my glasses because I have this, ha, huh, okay. <laughs> but no, I totally get what you're saying because 
I, I, you know, there are these people who are so obsessed by their workouts, um, and it's all about that's all they talk about. It becomes become their identity, right? Whether it's their workout, whether it's their diet, or they've been through this crazy weight loss program. I, I know someone um, knew someone who went from three hundred and thirty pounds to hundred and hundred and fifty pounds. Okay. So it's almost like yeah, he lost like three people, right? Mm-hmm. And he just had this. I don't want to say haunted look in his eye because I can't really tell what his eye looked like. But he had this constant, it was this unrest, right? Like there's something, it was just like he'd gone through this massive loss in his life and it had t- taken this huge blow to his personality. Like he, he his sort of energy in life had gone, like that vibrancy had gone. Um, and even with people who do this thing where the entire definition of who they are is based on this one label, whether it's fitness, whether it's um, um, a, a foodie, is they have, it's almost like the mm. other part of their personality is just dead. Mm. Do, you, do you sense that? I don't know. I don't want to make it so dramatic by saying dead, but I feel that it's almost like if you go down another path, they're like, no, no, let's bring it back to what I know, what I want to talk about and nothing else in my life or nothing else in your life matters because my entire definition of who I am is my meal or my workout or what I've achieved in that space. Absolutely. It's a big thing, you mm. know, I, how we relate to food, it's one of the first things we relate to when we live. Seriously, yeah. when you're born, the first thing they do is stick something in the baby's mouth. Yeah. You know, a, a pacifier, you know, breastfeeding or a bottle or something. So it's it's deep in there. Our yeah. relationship with food is deep in there. And I think our culture is so food obsessed and diet obsessed and restriction obsessed. I hear what you're saying. Some people identify with the way that they eat. Whether yeah. they are somebody who lost a lot of weight, they're the one who does keto. You know, I had a client just the other day, we were talking about, you know, um, she gets hungry after lunch. After a few hours, she naturally gets hungry again. But because she's known for not eating during the day, she would just let herself wait, get a blistering headache because she would be so hungry and go mm. home and overeat just because she didn't want to change what people thought of her. So to your point, to your point, it's really fascinating to what degree we, um, we identify with how we relate to food, exercise, how we look and all these things. It's so, so fascinating. Because you, you deal with these people who come to you specifically with an associate with, with, with their relationship with food, but food is clearly like alcohol maybe is a symptom it's not the real problem right because right. clearly when you told me that these people this lady who doesn't eat because you know she's not known to that and it's it's or a person who's going from diet to diet it's clearly more more profound than just what they're eating because they clearly have some deeper thing that needs to be addressed so how do you as someone who's they're approaching to deal with the food problem uh, approach something deeper are you trying to say i'm not deep <laughs> I, I haven't, um, you know, um, yeah, I'm not saying that you're not deep, but I'm just trying to understand how you got me there for a second. I'm trying to understand how you um, go deeper into the issue, because if, if I come to you for food, my name is deep, by the way, and uh, <laughs> this is horrible. if I come to, come to you for food and you say, hey, no, Sandeep, here's the thing, you um, have, uh, you know, mommy issues. I'm like, what? <laughs> right but that is the case in some in some situations right well first of all 
uh, we're both deep, I suppose, um, now that we're here. Um, You know, it really has to do, because your question is a really good one. It really has to do with somebody being in alignment with themselves. Mm. You know, that person that I was telling you about who's afraid to have the snack, this identity is a fabricated one. You know, it's not really her true soul essence. It's not really who she is on the inside. She's not a, you know, that's not who, how our soul presents as the fit one or sporty spice or makeup spice or whatever. You know what I mean? That's not really true expression of the soul. So really healing the eating issue is coming back in alignment with who we truly are on the inside. Not the one we think we are, the one that we think we should be posing as, but who we truly are. And that includes honoring our hunger, you know, satisfying ourselves, feeling what's present for ourselves. So what's really fascinating and exciting, and I know I use those words a lot, I guess I'm a fascinated and excited person. It's good, it's good to have that spirit, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, is as people start to honor their hunger and really tune into themselves and learn how to get curious about what their body is telling themselves, they start to show up differently in their lives. They start noticing where else in their lives are they pretending or where else in their lives are they trying to fit in or be cool or not really be true to themselves. So to answer your question, you know, how how would we work is really starting at the basics is learning how to honor your hunger and what keeps you from doing that. Learning how to honor your fullness and what keeps you from doing that. Some people don't even know how to connect with these sensations in their body. They've learned how to ignore it for a variety of reasons. So many different kinds of trauma that have may have occurred. Um, right. So, did that answer your question? Because yes. it's really no, no, deep. absolutely. And I want to understand: Do you use unlearning as a way to help these people? Yeah, I, I don't know how to unlearn. You know, um, yeah. but, but what I do do with these people is, you know, there is wisdom that we have in our minds. Great, yeah. that's part of wisdom, but also we need to include our body. So I wouldn't call it an unlearning as much as it is being more holistic, which is including the information the body has as well. Does that answer that? No, yeah, absolutely. Because unlearning is something that I've sort of tried to sort of use in my, uh, the past three, four years with understanding my experience uh, so far and what I've sort of done and um, looking at uh, habits and attachments and the way um, you know certain things have manifested so I was just wondering if that's something that you've experienced that has helped you because especially with uh, things that you said like doing things because someone uh, you want someone to see you in a certain light or you want someone to perceive you in a certain way or you want to impress a group of people or you want to fit in these these things I, I suppose uh, when you go back and say why did I do these things why are my relationships uh, coming um uh, down this path and why are people talking to me in a certain way the narrative in my life in a certain uh, has a certain voice um, I feel like when you unlearn you, uh, or rather when you look at it and you unlearn the process of or unlearn the the, 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 the activity it, it gives you it gives you a sense of letting go which gives you then more strength to rebuild that particular part of your personality or life Absolutely. And that's amazing that you've been able to do that. And not always um, successfully, because, you know, those patterns are so strongly sort of ingrained that sometimes it's one step forward, 100 steps back, you know. 
I do know personally as well. I'm here with you. And I tell people I'm really good at what I teach, not because I'm naturally good at it. It's because I had to learn it the hard way. Right, you know, and right. So I mean, I'm here with you in everything that we're talking about. And so that's why, you know, the truth of the body is hard to deny. It's hard to mm. fake. You know, when your stomach is growling, it's happening in the moment, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so um, when you learn how to adhere to that, it does bring up all those things that you need to, as you would say, unlearn or question, mm. you know, why am I waiting? Why do I feel like I have to wait until noon to eat? I know yeah. my intermittent fasting says I have to wait till noon, but I'm hungry right now. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, learning how to access the body's wisdom makes that unlearning happen much faster because you're faced with some type of truth. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I think listening to your hunger because I, I okay, I want to I wanted to talk about this later on, but I, I maybe we can talk about this again. Um, you know, when um, I read this book by David Sinclair called Lifespan, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him in the book, and in that one aspect of longevity is um, like the body not getting food. And so I um, did this one month of a 20 hour, 21 hour fast, right? So I would eat in a three hour window. But in that three hour window, I would eat whatever I wanted. Like I would start with um, maybe vegetables or a salad or something. But it was good food. Like it was whatever. Like some days if I wanted a sandwich from outside, I'd do that. But I felt really good and I didn't feel hungry. I would do like a fresh, uh, like a lime juice. I would do a black coffee, no sugar during the day. And for that one month, it, it became, it wasn't an obsession, but I did it pretty easily. And after a month, then I'm like, you know what? I've done the month. And now, uh, like out of a seven day week, I'll do probably an 18 hour fast, six hours, eat what I want. Then the other days I'd wake up like just now and I'm like, you know what? I, there's something really good in the kitchen. I'm smelling great. I'm going to eat breakfast. But then I would also do lunch. And it's so there's no method to it. It's not like five days on, two days off, or six days on, one day off. It's maybe in a week, sometimes one day I do an entire 21-hour fast. Then the next five, six days I eat whatever I want for all three meals. So it's given me a sense that, you know, as you said, listen to your hunger. And I, it's really important. But also sometimes it gives you a sense of freedom that I'm not controlled by the three meals a day. I'm not controlled by a fast. I'm not controlled by what people are putting on the table. Like, you know, sometimes you're sitting with friends. They're like, what are you going to eat? Why, why are you going to have vegetarian? You should eat meat. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to eat. I'm not, I'm not eating at all. <laughs> Do what you want. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing what um, that feeling made me uh, sort of understand about myself. That's really profound. And to me, you seem like one of those people people who throughout your life, you never had this fixation with food, you know? So for me, it seems like even though you've tried different things and experimented, it sounds like your relationship with food always remained more or less like flexible, natural, not so dogmatic, even though you've tried things. Whereas mm. for some people doing- I mean, I've never month, dieted just to put that out there. I've never gone on right? a diet. Yeah. Yeah. So for some people doing that, would just cause so much drama for them because yeah. of their history of different types of restriction that you did it for a month with the understanding that this is a month. Whereas other people go into it thinking, this is how I have to eat all the time. This is the law. This is the rule. Yeah. So you No, and just to a quickly there, Eve, I went in yeah. there not thinking it's a month. I went in there thinking it's a day. I never went in there thinking oh. it's a month because <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to put that kind of pressure because I'm trying to do these things not because it's an achievement, but because you know what? I can do this every day for the rest of my life if I choose to or I can stop it tomorrow because also it gave me an experiment. Like I like, you said I'm not fixated. I'm, I don't take anything um, as a constant because I feel that sort of makes you trapped by that that feeling. But 
it also made me realize when I tell people um, I'm just not eating, they're like, you're crazy, I could never do that. I'm like, okay, but you don't have to do it because I told you, but if you choose to, I think you should give yourself that, believe in yourself if you want to, right? Why, why is it always so, I could never do that, but the next thing they're like, oh, I could do this. You know, it, it becomes so extreme in their viewpoint. I think food is very... Um interesting topic you know yeah. as i said like it's in there deep and to mess with somebody's food we don't know what else we're messing with you know so for some people like you it's no skin off your back you could be flexible with it whereas mm. for other people who knows what happened when they were younger with how they yeah. relate to food and what it means to them yeah, so the yeah. idea of taking that away could bring up such feelings of deprivation yeah that it could be panic for them you know no absolutely so, Food is such a profound thing. And that's why, you know, I really don't think it's a one size fits all. I think we all have our own relationship with food to cultivate. Um, and that's why I love helping people to learn how to be their own food guru. You know, even though amazing. I have a degree in it, I am never going to be in their bodies. I could help them tune into their bodies, but I'm never going to be their experience. So you I love talking to you because you're very different than the type of people I usually work with, you know, because you're one of those people who is like natural with it, you know, or more natural with it. So, I mean, maybe I'm lucky. I think some, you know, some people have issues with food. Some people have issues with, you know, talking to people. Some people have issues with drugs and alcohol. And no, what I find amazing about the work you do is just what you said now. It's not about telling people what to do. It's about understanding what they um have an issue with and giving them the tools to work through their problem. It might not always be successful, but it's a much better approach because more and more we we look around, we hear of people uh, doing it because an influencer or a YouTuber or um, a celebrity or whoever it may be told them, oh, you know, I, I, I think it's great to have um, millets instead of rice or quinoa instead of thing. And they just do it without understanding I love my rice and I'm, I, I just love eating rice, not all only rice, but I, I can't do um, millets. I can't do quinoa. I just find it doesn't suit me. So when you understand what you want and why you're eating it is what you're teaching people or helping people understand. It's so liberating because you're not, it's almost like this pressure in another pressure in your life is taken off because there's so much shit we have to already deal with. Why should food be that problem, right? I agree. I agree. But when in life are we ever empowered to listen to ourselves? Never. And that's why you're doing amazing work because you're giving people that. Uh, and it's hard in today's day because you, it's very easy for you to go down the path saying, hey, look at me. I'm an inspiration. I'm an influencer. Follow what I say. But it's harder to go case by case, understand, kind of dismantle the processes that are established and then rebuild that because no one has time and everyone wants to cut corners and get you know, another million Insta followers. And I, I find that really impressive what you're doing and taking the time. Thank you. And you know what? People really value coming into greater harmony with their with themselves. Yeah. I've noticed more and more, actually, I think there's like a new wave of learning how to listen to yourself, how to be in alignment with your soul. There's so many different ways to say what I'm trying to say. Mm. And so it's been very humbling to see more and more people no longer wanting to be told what to do, eat this, not that. It was the old way of yeah. like, to what I say, you know, authority. Mm. I feel like there are more and more people who really want to take the time to tune into themselves, to find out their truth, not only with food. It's mm. amazing. 
people who work with me come in and they're like, I'm not even sure if I picked the right job. I'm not sure if I love my partner. I'm not sure if Whoa, I okay. like where I live. You yeah. know, they're so out of touch. They're so out of touch that it's not just with food where this confusion is going on. And they, mm. they intuitively know that. So yeah. it's profound. The ripple effect of healing your relationship with food, it, it, the rest of your life comes online as well. It's crazy. It's almost like you they come with a, a certain knot and you untie it and it unravels their entire, <laughs> this construct that they just sort of didn't know that they've built for themselves, right? It's kind of deep. Yeah. So you are deep. Yeah. No, I, before we wind <laughs> up, I want to just ask you, because uh, in America, a lot of people live alone and a lot of people can manage their own refrigerators or their own groceries. And, you know, you tell them, okay, this is what, um, not this is what, but this is some of the food options you have. Because uh, maybe something which has happened, you know, with, with the way um, agriculture is or seeds and food, the quality of food has got gotten really really bad i feel in some way while the abundance has gone up um i think you can obviously uh tell me more about it but when someone wants to start eating well it well doesn't have to be uh my understanding of well but they, what they want to do how how does one start because it's so overwhelming right again that's another another trap you can get caught in where someone says go to whole food someone says eat in harvest fresh or someone says eat organic or eat um aquaponic or whatever it may be um how does how, how do you get someone started on that journey you know you you are so wise because you're right <laughs> no i'm not really but <laughs> you uh, really are because it is, it could be so overwhelming that hurry up, I have to fix everything today because yeah. I'm working with Eve, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so oftentimes where the journey begins is to cool it and to observe. Mm, mm, mm. Let's just observe what is stressing you out the most. Yeah. What part of it is bothering you the most? We're not going to fix it all in a day. It didn't all happen in a day. So the first step in working with somebody is first waking them up to asking themselves, what's bothering me the most? What are the patterns I'm noticing that are bothering me? Every night I come home, I end up overeating and feeling very full and regretful about everything I ate. Eve, let's start there. So we don't fix it all at once. It's what is stressing you out the most. And that's where we begin to start working on. So, um, it's in, but you were about to ask me another question, and I think that was a really good question. Of, and tell me if I understood. I think you're about to ask, what if you're living with other people? Yeah, and they have certain yeah. food that you can't eat because I, I, I want to get there. Or they judge you for that. They're like, oh, you're not going to eat what we eat. Fine, we all live in the same house. You know these these comments which are uh, passive aggressive, and next thing you feel like shit because you're like, oh, I'm a horrible, um, whatever roommate, horrible cousin, horrible you know, guest or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. And this is actually a more profound thing going on. Mm. You know, oftentimes we feel like everything outside of us has to be a certain way for me to be okay. Mm. So part of the way I work with my clients is helping them connect with the inside so yeah. that no matter what food is around, no matter what comments people are saying, they're still able to be true to themselves not an easy task with food and believe me not an easy task with other areas of life but yeah. it's an important task to master nonetheless so it's a really great question i think a very important thing to um work with 
did I answer that question? Yeah, no, because absolutely, because I think you kind of, this is why I think it's, this conversation has been so fun. Um, because it's it's more emotional. It's just, I mean, food is the, the tool you work with or the, the symptom which you're addressing. But I mean, because you mentioned earlier that I fixated with food, but food really can make a person feel good because it's nutritious and it's going in and you do it as a choice that you decide. But it can also be such a, what's the word? It could, it, it could really demotivate metaphor? you. A metaphor? Not just a metaphor. I feel like it can really make you feel inconsequential or it can really put you down. I'll give you an example. Like, uh, you know, when my wife and I, uh, we were dating back like 10, 11 years back and we used, to, we used to go to a place called Goa, which is a seaside, like a beach town, right? And they have these shacks where you can order food and have a few beers. And then she would obviously, she eats, she eats a lot of meat, she eats a lot of seafood and she would order uh, whatever the, the local flavors and the local foods are. And I would, I, I, I don't eat meat. I mean, I'm not a big meat eater. I eat a little bit, but and you, typically people don't eat poultry or chicken in a seaside town. You eat seafood, right? You eat clams, mussels and prawn. And I was like, no, I can't eat that. And people, not her alone, but people be like, what, are you crazy? How can you eat chicken? How can you eat veg when you go to go out? I'm just giving you one scenario, not all the times. But typically, the moment, like you say, and, and now it's become cool to be a non-vegetarian in India, like, oh, what do you eat? Like, are you crazy? Or the other extreme, like, what do you eat? Meat, you horrible human being. It It really takes a blow to your ego. It really makes you feel like a piece of crap when someone sort of criticizes your food choice. And why is that? You know, well, first of all, why wouldn't it? Yeah. Of course it would. It's somebody questioning you. And chances are maybe a part of you questions you too. Why am I this way? Yeah. Why am I such a picky eater? Or why can't I be cool or whatever? So yeah. it really is something that strikes a nerve so well yeah. So well, especially because most people are also insecure about their food choices as well. So yeah, I think that's where it comes from. Some of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, that's why I love working with this, because if you could be strong in your food choices, mm. you could be strong anywhere. You know, if you could yeah. feel like, you know, right. Not, I don't want to say righteous, but if you could feel at ease yeah. of honoring your preferences when it comes to food, you could do this in any area of your life. So yeah. there are many reasons why when somebody second guesses your food choices, which probably most of us are second guessing too, um, yeah. it could be extra triggering. Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell you uh, uh, a little story, uh, which I spoke about in my special, but it's I think it's important um, and it's funny because I think you are in this space and it's maybe something that, um, I mean, you'll appreciate, I think. Um, so I know this person who's a vegan, right? So I was one day uh, talking to them and whatever, just a few drinks down. And it was like, yeah, you vegans. And I cracked these vegan jokes, right? Like, she, like I went for this vegan conference uh, and I said, did they start it off with the meet and greet? And she, she didn't get the joke because um, <laughs> it's a really stupid joke. I mean, vegan jokes are mainly puns, right? Like life is tofu and et cetera, et cetera. But um, <laughs> so then she said this thing, which kind of blew my mind. See, I'm not one of these people who will say, um, you know, I was reading the, an article this morning about how people have asked Beyonce to change the lyrics in her song because it's ableist or anti-ableist. Some, some, I'm not one of those people's up in arms saying, oh, how could you use that word? It's offensive to me as visually impaired. I, I don't even say visually, I say partially blind half the time. But this thing I found very interesting because it's kind of what you've said. It, it represents an issue which is beyond food. So she said to me, see, Sandeep, you've got to understand as a vegan, um, 
it's very similar to you as a person with a disability, but it's harder for us vegans because you people with disabilities didn't choose to be disabled, but we as vegans decided to be vegan, so it's a much harder choice and we have to fight for that choice. Mm. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's interesting, right? Very interesting. Yeah. Very fascinating, the connections that, that we can make here. The justifications. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Can I tell you my favorite vegan joke? Totally yeah. off topic. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was really funny. Uh, and I happened to be watching the show with a vegan and yeah. the comedian said, you know, I'm a vegan. I'm just like a vegetarian, but with less friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, in a meat eating country, predominantly meat eating country, it's hilarious. So um, yeah, no, that's a great. That's a great. Uh, that's that's a lovely joke. It's like saying, yeah, I'm a vegetarian, but with less friends or with uh, more issues. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. No, this I just found this brilliant. I mean, um, and 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 oblivious to the fact that I mean, I wasn't upset. I wasn't offended. I just found it amazing material which I used for my special because I didn't have to write it. It was just verbatim. <laughs> There's no punchline needed there. Yeah. No, fantastic. Thank you, Eve. Uh, it's been an amazing conversation and thanks for sharing everything that you do and for the great work you're doing to help people get back on track with their lives. Um, thanks for taking the time and joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here. You're such a delight to connect with. Thank you. Hey, cheers. Appreciate it. Ciao. Take care. Bye. Bye. Some people pop on cat ears and call it a day, but you? Your gorilla suit's so realistic the local zookeepers are after you. Duncan's keeping you fueled to fright this Halloween, so sip the bone-chillingly bold peanut butter cup macchiato savored with a frightfully enchanting spider donut. Or sink your fangs into the Dunkle Lantern donut with a blood-orange Duncan refresher. Also, you can haunt even harder. America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.